We're going to be in the second chapter of Acts this morning. Acts chapter 2, and we will eventually get there, but so you can turn there for now. But I, I do want to um, start this morning mindful of where we ended last Sunday, which was last Sunday we ended just reflecting on the comparative smallness of our lives. How, despite the fact that God does great things, that our calling is generally small. And that the best we can do, that God's call for us is to fill up our smallness, like faithfully fill our smallness. So that's where we ended last week, and this maybe this the Sunday is sort of a healthy counterbalance to uh, that idea, which is sometimes God does some pretty big things with small, small people. He does on occasion choose to do big things, but usually the way he does it is um, among people who are doing their small things pretty well. So I'll give you a couple of just normal worldly examples. If you were to uh, visit with a soldier, like a Marine, who's standing post out in the field or in a deployed location, if you were to go interview them about their job, I guarantee you that Marine would um, express his, his, his role, what he does in a very big way. He'd be very proud of what he's doing. And, and I mean this in really good ways. He'd be very proud of what he's doing. If you ask him about his weapon, he'd break it down for you, you know, quicker, quicker than you would expect. And he could rebuild it, and it's clean, and his uniform is sharp, and he's at his post. And in your visiting with him, I am certain you would gain a sense of like the bigness of his job. Until you asked him about the mission. So if you, if you if if you were visiting with this marine and you said, "Wow, you must be like you must be like the number one soldier." I would expect at that point that he would almost entirely reverse on you and say, no, 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 I'm, I'm one, I'm only one of a hundred in the company. Like I just, uh, as proud as he is about the thing he's doing, he is well fit into the larger whole. And so there's a sense if you talked, if you wanted him to talk about his smallness, he would talk about his smallness in a really big way. He wanted him to talk about his bigness, like the whole, he would actually make himself look small. He would say, no, I'm just, my job is to sit at this corner and guard this post here, but I don't, I don't take the hill, we take the hill, or I don't. He would have a very proper sense of place in the larger whole. You would see this with a good football team too, like a team that happens to be five and one, for example. A good football team that um, 
and just even if you think of it at a college level or at a high school level, what works well in a football team is where somebody knows their job really, really well, and they do their one job really, really well, and the next person next to them does their job really, really well, and everybody is doing their small jobs really well, that is the recipe for a team that does big things really well. That's how it works. People feeling the bigness of their smallness, doing that very well, is what enables pretty remarkable things to happen. And that's especially true in the church, or in the family, but especially true in the church. Paul would say it this way, the church is like a body, and you're like a part of that body. So you should, in, in hearing that metaphor, you should hear the bigness and the smallness. And the body is what does things. And we edify the body by being the right kind of part well. And he himself, Paul says in Corinthians, we don't worship the foot, we don't worship the eye, we don't all aspire to be that thing. We try to aspire to be the little thing that God made us to be, which collectively does a great thing. Well, today I want to talk about what does the church do, particularly Sycamore Hill Church, what has God made us to do? And this is going to be the first of four messages you're going to hear this year. So today's all by itself. There'll be one in January. We're going to, we've spaced them throughout the year because we have a goal. And the goal is to communicate the vision of the church well and begin to create a recarve a space in our hearts for the concept of planting, planting another fellowship, doing that again. And so over the course of the year, periodically, we're going to kind of return to the subject and go a little farther and dig a little deeper about the notion of who, what is Sycamore Hill Church and how does, how does church planting play a role in it? So the goal today is simply for us to read the Word, see in the Word, sort of how the vision of our church is connected to Scripture and how planting comes out of it as a consequence of God's action. That it's not an idea, it's something that God does. That's, that's really, really our goal today. So with that said, let me share with you the, the vision of the church. The vision of Sycamore Hill Church is to share in God's growing and spreading and maturing kingdom. That's how we say it. His growing and spreading and maturing kingdom, which is merely a reflection on the Great Commission. God's kingdom is growing. Go make disciples. It's spreading of all nations. It's maturing, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. So it's, it's a reflection on the Great Commission, but, but here a little more specifically is what we mean. When we say God wants to grow his kingdom, we're saying that God wants us to have an effect here. He wants you to have an effect in your, where you are in your life, that you would have a kingdom imprint wherever it is God's placed you. That you would be salt and light in your workplace that you would be known 
in the way that's appropriate among your neighbors as a, a follower of the Lord and that good things would come out of that, that they would see your good deeds and glorify the Lord. That's what we mean by grow. And it has a, a numerical notion, but it really, it's more than that. It's transformational. The, the notion would be in your workplace, is the Lord allowing you and enabling you to make it better? Make it more. Because God wants to grow his kingdom. And we want to be part of that. We, we shouldn't just assume we're part of that. We want to be part of that. A good example of that in the present life of our church is um, the, the facility that we're expanding, the, the work we're going to be doing here. We're doing that not only to care for those who are here, but to be able to invite others in our community to come. It's just one. Here's another example. We have a, a place downtown on 329 North Market Street called Loma Coffee. Many of you know about it. It was part of a vision that came in 2010. And so in 2010, we, we established a coffee shop down on Market Street for different reasons. We were not thinking God wants to grow his kingdom. We were actually thinking God wants to spread his kingdom. So why we went there... Um, we went there with a different reason in mind. But what has happened over the past seven years is Loma Coffee has turned out to be the anchor of the block as a business. To the owners, it's the, I would dare to say, maybe the most trustworthy. I don't mean that in the sense of lying in truth, but they have come to view Loma Coffee very positively. There's, they're honest. The managerial staff are good people who love the Lord. It's the kind of place, if you've never gone there, are regulars, many regulars. Good things happen there. And as a result, the owner, the person who owns the whole block has come to us, i.e. Loma Coffee, but he's come to us and said, the, the back corner of the building that's next to you, right by Dell Tech, it's vacant. I will give it to you essentially for free for the next year and a half. This happened this month. But the next year and a half, you can have this for free. But if you want to just vision how you might live into it, and then we'll start to work a rent, a rent that would follow over the following years. Now, why does that happen? I mean, he says, he says, We've been, we are, these are my words maybe, but he's, we've been blessed that you've been part of us and we are hopeful that we know that if you do this thing, it'll be good. It's essentially his spirit. And he might, the owner might have in, in some place a, a self-serving or self-preserving notion of if this church has done this well, then anything they do here, well, they'll do well and that'll be, play well for me. Even if that's true, and let's assume it's true, it's a sign that when I think God wants to grow his kingdom, I think that's a, that's a good example of that. You go to a place, and over time, you prove yourself trustworthy and good and right, and people want more of you and more of what you have. And now we have this wonderful invitation adjacent to Dell Tech to begin a vision ministry. It's really exciting. So God wants to grow his kingdom. That's the first idea. The second idea is God wants to spread his kingdom, right? Go make disciples of all nations. 
So not only does God want to do things with you here, but God wants to foster our heart for things there, things over the horizon, things not here. It's not, and it's not just geographic. It's also a sense of the potential of the kingdom that is not yet realized. That's what it means when you say God wants to spread. It's God wants his people to have an eye for where the kingdom is not firmly established and to have a heart that it would be. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has done so much good for us, would go somewhere else and do good. That is incidentally why we did Loma Coffee. It's why we've tried to encourage our missions partnerships. It's part of the reason, a big reason, why the plant, the Wilmington campus was planted in 2012 and why it exists to this day. It's because God wants to spread his kingdom. And then the third part of this God wants to mature his kingdom. So go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. We're not trying to make converts. We're not trying to make believers. We're trying to make disciples. In other words, God wants to do things here. God wants to ha- us to have a heart for what he's doing there. And then in our hearts, and individually inside of us, God wants to make you more of a person of him, of his own. He wants to continue to refine you more and more. And that's the engine. I think that's the smallness that gives birth to greatness, is when God's fellowship, his people, are leaning in in their own lives with the Lord and refining progressively. Then God can do anything, everything with us. Small groups, Bible studies, adult Bible studies on the Sunday morning here, raising our kids in the Word. These are really important things. Not nice options to make us look like other churches. They're really important things to, for you to live your life out with other believers. When your life group has a problem I think in God's view, it's a really good thing because now you have to work through it. God wants us to mature. And when we're mature, he can do so much with us. Okay. That's the vision of the church. It's a reflection on the Great Commission, so it's not unique, it's, but it's genuine. And what I want us to do is I want us to see it in the Gospel Acts. So if you look to Acts chapter 2, The reason I've chosen Acts is because Acts is, I might call it the gospel of the Holy Spirit. If Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels that tell the story of Jesus Christ, Acts tells the story of God in the absence of Christ. Jesus leaves. In the very beginning of Acts, he ascends back into heaven. And then we get to watch what God does through his Holy Spirit and the church. The church is born in the gospel of Acts. So it's a great place to look when we, when we want to know what should the church do. And Christ makes a promise right in the beginning. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. It's like the Great Commission. You'll be my witnesses here and there. Is essentially what he says. And everywhere. 
So where I want us to draw us to is Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And I want to encourage you to just be attuned to how much you hear and see the Holy Spirit present. Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is the first thing that the Holy Spirit uh, does. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they're in a room. The followers of Jesus are in a room. The Holy Spirit comes down in a visible way. This is a very powerful moment, okay? A very unique and powerful moment. Visible way lays on them and gives them power, and they begin to speak in other languages, which is very important because at Pentecost, it's one of the days where the Jews from all over the world converge on Jerusalem. So there's many people of many languages in the city right now. It's unique of any day of the year in Jerusalem. It's the most internationally eclectic festival, essentially, of the year. So God enables the Spirit to, enables them through the Spirit to speak in languages. And what I want us to see here is one of the things that happens to the church, or to the people of God through the Holy Spirit, is that He empowers them to bear witness. That's what's happening here. The Holy Spirit empowers His people, you and me, to bear witness. And not just in word, but in word and deed. Okay? That, the whole, God has great interest in that. And that's what happens here. The Holy Spirit empowers them and they begin to bear witness. And then if you follow along just with your finger, I suppose, unless you're a speed reader, they all begin preaching. And then Peter, um, one of the chief apostles, I suppose, begins this really long sermon. And it's like a page long. And he preaches this really long sermon, but I want you to know what happens at the end of it. So if you'll go to verse 41, you'll see what happens at the end of it. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is empowers us, you and me, to bear witness to the Lord. And a result of that is that many are added to the kingdom of God. God wants to grow his kingdom. That's what this is. Peter's preaching in his hometown. God wants to grow the kingdom. There's many other examples of this in early Acts, okay? So I'm uh, Acts chapter 3. Peter's walking around. He's walking near the temple. He sees a, a lame beggar who's begging for something. Peter says to him, silver or gold have I not, but what I do have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I command you to stand up. And he reaches down, he grabs the beggar, and the beggar rises and starts skipping around. Everybody notices. Everybody notices. Astonished they notice it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness in more than deed. 
So then what happens is they all gather around Peter and he begins to preach. That's chapter 3, verse 11 and following. He preaches. Because the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to bear witness. There's examples all through all through the book of Acts. Peter in chapter 4, I'm just pointing these out. He's brought before the council. They say, hey, you, you can't talk about Jesus like that. So the priests bring him before the council. They say, stop doing what? He says, stop doing what? Stop doing this? And he preaches. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to bear witness in word and deed. It's the rhythm of Acts. Is the empowering of the Holy Spirit in you and me to bear witness. Now, I'm not saying evangelism. It's not for spiritual laws. It's not pithy points. It's you bearing witness of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is sensitive and wise and thoughtful and powerful. And that's what the Holy Spirit does because God wants to grow his kingdom. I want to show you another thing the Holy Spirit does. You can go back to Acts chapter 2, right where we finished there in 41, right? On that day, 3,000 are added to the number. I want to read the second thing the Holy Spirit does. Watch how he generously fills the assembly. Verse 42, and they, that's, this crowd of believers, which we might call a church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. One thing the Holy Spirit does is he empowers you and me to bear witness in word and deed to the world. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is generously fills the assembly of believers for the edification and well-being of the fellowship. Now, it doesn't say here that the doesn't say Holy Spirit. I think the presence of the Holy Spirit should be inferred here by the copious abundance of fruits of the Spirit. And in fact, there are examples in, in the fourth chapter, in the fourth and fifth chapter, there's Good, hearty examples where similar things are said and the Holy Spirit is present. But the Holy Spirit not not only is empowering us to bear witness outside to the world, but also is generously filling us for one another. And I want you to note what happens. Look at the very last sentence of 47. And the Lord added to their number... Day by day, those who were being saved. That's interesting. How you and I treat one another without e- with not even the world in mind. How you and I care for one another 
is noteworthy to the world. If we're salt and light, we should be salt and light. And notice what the Holy Spirit's, the very same witness and testimony that's calling the world to Christ is the very same witness and testimony that inside the fellowship is sewing them tightly together. The same occupation. We should talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus among us as much, if not more, than we would share about it to the outside world. We don't simply talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus when we want to save a convert. It's daily applicable. That's what's happening here. They're preaching and teaching inside the fellowship. Why? Because God wants to mature the church. That's what's happening here. Right? God wants to grow his kingdom and God wants to mature his kingdom. And you see, it's cyclical and it sort of breathes in and out. In fact, this whole this rhythm respirates through the, through the book of Acts. Of witness and testimony out brings people in and then witness and testimony within brings greater life and people go out. It's this, it's, it is very much like the Spirit breathing in and breathing out. And it happens again and again and again through the book of Acts. This is the working rhythm of Acts. You can't read the, by the time we get to Acts 10 through 28, this respiration of the Holy Spirit's assumed. You just assume it. They talk about, oh, here's another church. And you just assume you know what that means. It means that God has empowered someone to bear witness in word and deed that people have been drawn close and that the very same spirit which empowers us to bear witness to the world and generously fills the assembly. And both of those end up growing the fellowship. I'll give you one other example here. Look at Acts chapter 6. chapter 6, verse 1. I've skipped a couple to get here, but this is a good one. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews, that's the Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There's a a problem in the church. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. This is how you know the Spirit of God is generously filling the church. Choose from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. And so they do that. They find seven men full of wisdom and the Spirit of God. And look at verse 7. And the Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Think of that. The fellowship of believers living life well together has the effect of multiplying the church in Jerusalem.
to the point where the most astute Jewish leaders and priests in the synagogues see something has to be going on there and are drawn in because God wants to grow his church. God wants to mature his church. God wants to grow his kingdom. God wants to mature his kingdom. God, the Holy Spirit empowers you to bear witness and word and deed outside and generously gives us what we need here. Okay. One more thing. It's in Acts chapter 6. It's about one of these people. He's a new character. His name is Stephen. And it's in verse 8. It's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. Are you ready? It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So we know the Holy Spirit's on him, right? Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So, what is Stephen doing? Well, Stephen's been empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness in word and deed, just like you and me. And so he's doing it. And it gets folks fired up, okay? And so they begin to rise up against him. And we've seen this familiar. So they're going to rise up and get against him. And so look, the whole chapter 7 is a big, long speech, very long sermon. Stephen gets, gets to preach him. And he preaches this long message, Okay? And it's unique. In fact, the 15th verse says, people gazed at him, and those in the council who saw him saw that he had the face like an angel. So the Holy Spirit is on him in a really special way, all right? He has spirit and wisdom that they don't have, and then the Holy Spirit shows up around him in an extra special way. Makes him look like an angel. And then he preaches a really long sermon. I don't know if that's a sign of spirit filled. Preaches a really long sermon. And he ends the sermon this way. This is chapter 7, verse 51. Okay. He gets to the end of the sermon, and right before the invitation, this is his invitation. Are you ready? I wonder if I should try this sometime. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Listen to the... Just make sure you know the Holy Spirit's here. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Let me stop there. We've seen this pattern before. 
right? The Holy Spirit came on Peter. He preached a long sermon. By the way, he said his invitation was about the same. He said, you killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. They said, whoa, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized, all of ye, for the forgiveness of your sins. And on that day, 3,000 were added to the number. So we've seen this pattern. And this pattern was, this was the pattern of chapter 2. This was the pattern of chapter 3 when he healed the beggar. He preaches a long sermon and proclaims it in power. We've seen this pattern. So what do we know is going to happen? Church is going to grow, right? Actually, the church is going to subtract one person this day. Verse 57, they cry out in a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. They picked up big rocks and they hurled them on his body until he was dead. That doesn't grow the church. In fact, if you look at chapter 8, verse 1, I'm going to read the whole verse, but it's the second half I'm attentive to. And Saul approved of his execution. It's the first time. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Well, that doesn't sound like the church grew. On that day, the church became illegal in Jerusalem. On that day, the church became persecuted, assaulted, the first martyr on this day. And yet, we know that the Holy Spirit orchestrated the whole event. Do we not? Did it not say that Stephen, full of spirit and wisdom, did it not say that his face was like that of an angel? Don't you think the Lord's invested in the moment? Did it not say that Stephen, full of the spirit, looked up and saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father? This moment is entirely orchestrated by the Lord. The Lord has deemed on this day that Stephen would come to him. Why? Because of this, chapter 8, verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's why. On this day, on this day, the church is scattered across the entire Near East. They run for their lives, and w- but they run for their lives respirating in the Spirit, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus Christ in word and deed and generously filled with the Holy Spirit inside the assembly. And so you grab these little respirating, nameless Christians, by the way. You notice it said in chapter 8, the only people who stayed in Jerusalem are the people whose names we know, the apostles. Everyone who was scattered are names we don't know. I mean, we know Philip. We find out Philip here. We get to know Philip. But the scattering of the church of Jesus Christ is something that's done in almost entirely historic anonymity. We, don't know, we know hardly none of these people except that they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim Jesus Christ in word and deed 
and that they were generously filled by the Holy Spirit in the way they handled one another, and that the Holy Spirit orchestrated their scattering. Because God wants to spread his kingdom. God wants to t- God has a mind for what's there, just like he has a mind for what's here. God always has a mind for where his kingdom is not yet because the fullness of the earth is God's. When I was a child, I came to understand things poorly about the church. I grew up this way. I don't know how it happened. It happened this way. I thought that in the umbrella of God, there's essentially two things. I thought there was church, and I thought there were missionaries. I don't know how that happened. But I just thought, you go to church, but some people are missionaries. We must reject that notion as wholly insufficient to describe what God does. He sends us. Did he ask for missionaries to raise their hand here? No. On that day, the whole church was scattered. We don't even know. The greatest church in the book of Acts, really, is the church in Antioch, which is what, in January, we'll probably talk about that. We don't even know who planted the church in Antioch. We don't even, we know roughly how it happened, but they're never named. It just happens. All that God's doing in our lives to make us salt and light outside and inside the church, God uses it. God takes that respiration, that Holy Spirit respiration of a living church, and he very often says, I want to do that over there because God wants his kingdom to spread. That should be in our minds and our hearts. And uh, we'll build on that. Living things multiply. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy, it's natural for, even in the book of Acts here, it is natural for us to understand your desire to grow the kingdom and understand your desire to mature us and to not intuitively see your desire to do it somewhere else. And Lord, over the course of this year, I do ask that in the mercy of your Holy Spirit, you would give us that intuition. Not that we would all feel like we need to be part of it, but that we would all know that it is part of you. Lord, you give us your words so that we can know how you think, who you are, how you act, and what to expect. So as we adopt the mind of Christ, and as we see what the Holy Spirit does, Lord, may, may we be prepared to participate in all of your kingdom.
We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.